Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So, good morning. It's good to see all of you here in Benicia and those of you in our Vallejo campus joining us uh, online as well. We're glad that you're here with us today. Um, before I go any further, um, I want to introduce somebody. Uh, you, Tom Egum, who is the president of Hope for Kids, comes every November for us and, uh, and shares uh, about the ministry of Hope for Kids. But today uh, we have with us Angie Simon. Angie Simon is the vice president of international development. She's the one who coordinates all of the well digging that goes on in Uganda and actually not just in Uganda, but in other places around the world. So would you just give me a good Northgate welcome to Angie? Would you stand? Just... We've been on so many uh, Uganda trips together. It's like my sister now. Um, it's just been uh, wonderful and it, to see the response. Um, and I don't know about you, but the last couple of weeks have just been kind of a roller coaster for me emotionally. Um, you know, you watch the devastation of the fires and then, you know, you kind of your heart sinks and then you see people's outpouring and generosity and, and relief efforts and your heart rises and then you breathe smoke and your heart sinks and you... <laughs> You know, and then yesterday's walk for water, you know, it's just, it's been kind of this emotional roller coaster. And I don't know about you, but I found it just really difficult to concentrate um, the last couple of weeks. It's just so much else going on and so many, and so many other things that just call for your attention. And, and I was thinking this week, because we were going to actually start a brand new series this week. We've pushed that back one week because um, I, we were just thinking, you know, today would be a good day to talk about rebuilding um, and it doesn't it has to be a, a, a wildfire. Um, everybody experiences times in life when you've got to do some rebuilding. And it might, be, um, it might be a loss of a job or a setback in your career. Um, it might be a financial setback. It might be a broken uh, relationship, a broken family, a broken marriage. Um, it, it might be a doctor's diagnosis. Um, it might be you're caught in an addiction and you hit rock bottom. But, but the truth is, every one of us in our lives will come through those seasons where it's time to rebuild, when everything seems to have fallen apart. How do you start back up? And I know one thing is true that, and my mom used to say this about, about um, uh, difficult times. It's like, well, either you are just coming out of one, or you're right in the middle of one, or you're about to head into one. <laughs> one of the three. All of us experience them. And, and the great thing is, when you read scripture, the, the Bible is all about rebuilding. It's all about God's rebuilding story in this world. And you find story after story, an event, an event, an uh, account, an account of, of rebuilding processes. And we're going to actually look at one from the Old Testament today. And I got to give you a little bit of a background. It's going to be from the book of Nehemiah, which some of you go, where is that? It's in your Old Testament. Okay. You ought to read your Bible sometime. It's got a lot of good stuff in there. But let me give you a little historical background. So the nation of Israel um, was conquered by the Babylonians. Um, in 586, um, the, the, the city of Jerusalem fell, and that was the end of Israel and Judah. Um, by the way, take notes because this is going to be on the test later. 586, okay? Um, and then about 50 years later, the Persian Empire came in and conquered the Babylonians, okay? And when the, when the Babylonians conquered Israel, they took... a, a a huge group of people off into exile with them into Babylon. And then when the Persians took over, over the Babylonians, then those exiles became a part of Persia. 
And, and where we pick up the story is about another hundred years after that. There's a guy named Nehemiah. And Nehemiah um, has actually never seen Jerusalem. He has never been to Israel. He has grown up in Persia. And he has actually kind of risen to a position of chief cupbearer to the king. And so he is in Persia. And some of his relatives from Jerusalem do come and visit him. And, and he asks them how things are going back there. Because when, when the Persians kind of started to let the exiles go back to Jerusalem... And so some of them now have come back. And so Nehemiah kind of wants to know, so what's going on? How are things going back in the old uh, homeland? And so if, we want, if you want to, Nehemiah chapter 1, is we're going to pick up the story actually in verse 3. That um, he talks to his relatives who have come to visit. And they ask him, how are things back in Jerusalem? And they said to me, verse 3, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. And when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. I said, Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keeps his commandments, keep your, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We've acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed your commands, decrees, and laws that you gave your servant Moses. But remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even your exiled people, at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. And then parenthetically says the man he's talking about is that I was cupbearer to the king. And that prayer begins a rebuilding process that Nehemiah not only takes part in, but actually leads. And there are some things from the way that Nehemiah went about this rebuilding of the walls in Jerusalem that I think are principles that can apply to your life. And you might be in one of those rebuilding processes right now. Maybe it feels like your life has all fallen apart. Or everything around you seems to be crumbling down. Or maybe you're just right at rock bottom and you're wondering, where do I go from here? And I think there's some principles from Nehemiah's story that can help you and can help us, all of us, when we go through those rebuilding processes. So first thing I want to tell you about is that when you have to start all over, the first thing is always preface your plans with prayer. It has to start with God. Because what happens is when life falls apart, when things go bad, we want it to be fixed and we want it to be fixed right away. When, when, we're, when we're down in the dumps, we want to feel better and we just want to do something that will make it better and make it better as quickly as possible. But very often in that haste, we make some very, very bad decisions because we're motivated by the emotion of it. We're motivated by just wanting to feel better again. And I have, as a pastor, I've seen over and over again people who have gone through breaking times and then just in their effort to feel better quickly, they make really bad decisions. I've seen people who've gone through divorces and then 
right on the heels of divorce, jump right back into a relationship they weren't prepared for and make that same mistake over and over and over again. And instead of just jumping right into the plans and the preparation and the, and the rebuilding right away, start with prayer. That's where Nehemiah starts. He has an emotional reaction to this whole thing. It says that when I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days, I mourned and fasted and prayed. Prayed before the God of heaven. See, the the broken walls represented something more than just broken walls. What it represented was a loss of identity for the people of Israel. What it represented was hopelessness and helplessness, loss of protection, loss of defense, loss of strength. And that's why it was so overwhelming to him. But he knew that this was going to be a bigger chore than he could take on by himself. So he started with prayer. He needed a plan, but it needed to be sorted Um, supported with prayer. And that's why it says for some days, for some days, it was actually five months, five months he spent praying and thinking about and planning and developing these plans for prayer in the hopes that he could do something because he was cupbearer to the king. Now that's, that's, it sounds like he was just the butler, but he was actually something much, much more than that. He was like the chief bodyguard. What it meant to be cupbearer to the king was if somebody tried to poison the king's food, you sampled the food first, so you die before he dies, okay? That was his job. He was very, well, very much trusted. Um, it was a high position to hold, and you were, it was an intimate position with the king himself. So he knew he had a unique position, but he also knew he had to be careful and wait for the right timing. And so it says, as you get into chapter 2, that it was actually five months later that the opportunity came up. And because he had prayed, and in those prayers he had planned, when the opportunity came up, he was ready to speak up, because he knew what was needed, and God had already laid this whole thing on his heart. And so he went to the king, and he said, this is why I'm so down, this is why I'm so overwhelmed, this is what's bothering me. And he starts to tell him about the the walls of Jerusalem, and he says, the only way I can see is to go back and rebuild them, but to do that, we're going to need some building materials. And and I know there's going to be some of our enemies, they're not going to be too happy about us rebuilding, so I'm going to need an armed escort. And he went and he made this bold request to the king. The king gave him building materials, lumber, out of his own private forest. He provided him with an armed escort, and he provided him with papers of, of protection. And so he says in chapter 2, he says these words, Because of the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. Not only did he give permission to go rebuild, he was given the materials and the armed escort and protection that he needed to be able to do it. All because he started with prayer. If he had just said, you know what, I got to go, I got to do something, and he just ran right out there, he would not have had any of those resources available to him. And he probably would have been in pretty big trouble with the king. But he started with prayer. And that's the place you have to start. Because the rebuilding process, whether it's in a community or whether it's just in your own personal life, God is a big, big part of that. And it's got to start with him. And then, then you're ready for the next step, which is you got to go now and take a good hard look at what things are really like. And it's, it's all about assessing your current reality. Because what happens is Nehemiah gets all of that stuff He gets the protection. He gets to Jerusalem. But again, he doesn't just jump into the work. First, he has to figure out what needs to be done. Because you can't can't rebuild unless you come to grips with what is really needed and necessary. And so it says that after staying there three days, Nehemiah 2, I set out during the night 
with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put on my heart to do for Jerusalem. He said, I didn't just jump right into it. First, I went and checked it out. And if you read through chapter 2, what he did was he and a few other people, they, they got on their horses and they actually rode all around the perimeter of the wall to see just how bad it was. And that is a very important step. Because, like I said, if you don't know the extent of the damage, you won't know what needs to be fixed. And, and, and the trouble is that when you do that assessment, it can be pretty discouraging because things may be worse than you thought they were. And there'll be a tendency to kind of sugarcoat it and kind of just gloss over it and just start rebuilding. Back in uh, 1991, when the Oakland Hills fire, the last big California fire, Northern California fire, um, we were just starting the church. And so I was still bivocational. I was, you know, working at planting a church, but I was also working in construction, working for my dad. And we, we did actually some rebuilding up in the Oakland Hills. But what happened was when you went through the hills, it was kind of like what you see up in Napa, Sonoma nowadays um, and Santa Rosa, where it's just like everything's leveled down to the foundation. And if you would look at it, you say, well, okay, we just, we got to clear out all the debris and then we, the foundation's there. So we got something we can build on. But before we could even do that, you had to have a civil engineer come out and he has a special hammer. It's called the Schmidt, the Schmidt hammer. And, and it actually is used to measure the density and, and the strength of the concrete. And so he would, he would you know, tap, it's kind of a, I can't explain it, but anyway, it's, it's, a, it's a special hammer, right? And, 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 and you just kind of, he worked his way down the foundation and got to a point, and then he spray painted a line. He says, okay, anything from here on up has to be taken out. Because it's concrete, and yes, it's foundation, but it's no good. You build on that, it's just going to crumble. It doesn't have the strength. So it looked like we could just go right and start right there, but you couldn't. You had to know the full extent of the damage because the fire had so sucked all of the moisture out that it actually made it too dry and crumbly. And, and that's the thing. When you go through that rebuilding process, as hard as it is, you've got to take a good hard look at it. And you've got to take a good assessment of it. And you've got to take some time and say, okay, what part did I play in all of this. In fact, if you read Nehemiah's prayer, the first thing he starts with, like we read together, I confess, God, we did not act like we should have. We did not honor you like we should have. And that's where you start. What's my part in all of this? What did I do wrong? But then he turned to God. He says, so, but I do know your promises that you said, even when we would fail, that you would still redeem us if we would turn back to you. So God, now give us your help. And that prayer was all about that assessment process. And that's what he's doing. Many of you are probably familiar with the 12-step program. Uh, and we have actually quite a number of people in our church that are, that are in recovery. And a lot of people know the first, second, maybe the third step. But you know what the fourth step is? The fourth step is we took a searching and um, intense moral inventory because anybody in recovery knows you got to take a good, hard look at yourself, and it may not be pretty, and it may be discouraging, but until you do that work, you don't know how to really rebuild, and that's really what Nehemiah is doing here, and, and, and notice one thing about it, by the way. He took a few people with him, and that is, that is really important because you need the help of a few close friends, pre- preferably close friends spiritually mature friends because we all have these blind spots and other people can see us better 
than we can see ourselves. And so you need somebody else who can kind of speak into you and, and help you do that assessment. And, and, and when they do, give them full permission. Do not get defensive. Don't try to justify yourself. Just listen. Because what you're doing is you're taking that inventory so you can move on with the rebuilding process. And what happens is after Nehemiah does all that, he realizes, okay, we kind of got to scale back this thing. Because the walls of Jerusalem had been huge, but that's going to be too big of a project. And so they kind of scaled it back and, and made a made smaller section of wall so that the city would be protected. And once he had done all of that, then he could go public. And it says in Nehemiah 2.17, then after I'd done all of that hard work, then I said to them, you see the trouble that we're in? Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we'll no longer be in disgrace. In other words... He took a good, solid, hard look at what the reality was. And then he says, okay, it's bad. (laughs) Do you see the trouble that we're in? Now I know. But let's rebuild. Let's rebuild. Taking that assessment, now you're ready for that next step, which is really enlisting the help of other people. Because any rebuilding process is going to need other people. You are going to need a support system. You're going to need the help and strength of God in all of this. And that's what Nehemiah does. There, he, he sees there's, there's, there, that, that rebuilding is not a solitary venture. It's going to take the help of other people. It's going to take the help of God. And he makes that connection. He goes on to them. He says, let's build the wall of Jerusalem. We will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me. That God has already been preparing this, this whole thing. He, he provided all these things, what the king did for us, and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let's start rebuilding. Let's go for it. And you're going to need that. You're going to need the work of God in your life. You're going to need the work of God behind the scenes where you can't see it. And you're going to need other people in your life. Because God uses people to help rebuild other people. And we've seen that. Just in the last couple of weeks, the outpouring of donations for the fire relief is just incredible. People helping other people. We saw it through our walk for water yesterday. People willing to take a Saturday morning and walk and get some sponsors to be able to drill seven wells. People helping people. That's how it works. And whether you are in the rebuilding process yourself or someone who can come alongside someone else who's in the rebuilding process, we need each other. That's the, that's the importance of a church. It's why we put such an emphasis on, 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 on community and why we put such an emphasis on our community groups. That be connected, being connected with other people is absolutely essential to that whole rebuilding process. And if you go through and read all of chapter 3, it kind of reads like this. Here's just the first three verses. So Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. Then the men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zachar, son of Imri, built next to them. And if you read through chapter 3, that's how the whole chapter goes. And next to them, these people, and these people took this assignment, and the next to them were these people, and they took on this part of the wall. And all of chapter 3 just reads a list of people who rose to the occasion and were a part of the rebuilding process. And they're mentioned by name. People you will never meet, probably would never be anywhere recorded in history anywhere, are recorded in Scripture just because they stepped up and did their part. And you're going to need other people as a part of that rebuilding process. And then the last thing is this. It's my last word of advice to you. Embrace the struggle because it will be a struggle. Just embrace it. 
Because rebuilding is not easy. Walls don't rebuild themselves. Stones just don't jump on top of you. People don't just automatically volunteer. It will be a struggle. It will be a journey. But embrace that. There will be people that do not understand. That they don't understand what you're doing or what God is doing in your life. I I remember when we were first um, talking about and thinking about planting Northgate. And I started talking to friends and family about this idea of a church for unchurched people. And they would look at me with this weird expression on their face like, what are you talking about? A church for unchurched people. Wait, no, church people go to church, you know? And, and, and said, but, but, but there are people who have never been a part of a church family. And there's people who have been burned by church or drifted away from church. And God loves them too. And, and, and I remember, my mom, it took my mom the longest time to get her head wrapped around this idea of a church for unchurched people. She finally came around, but it was hard for her. Because it was something that just wasn't, you couldn't understand. And there will be people who won't understand your rebuilding process. In fact, there will be people who will be opposed to your rebuilding process. Sometimes because they're threatened by it. Because when you get to rock bottom and you realize, I've got to make some changes. And you start making those changes and God starts working in your life in that rebuilding process. There's going to be other people who aren't willing to go there. And they're going to be, they're going to, they're, they're going to be threatened by what God is doing in your life. In fact, that's what happens to Nehemiah. They start the rebuilding process, and a guy named Sambalat, who was the governor of Syria, um, didn't like what was going on because if Jerusalem rebuilds the walls, now they've got protection, okay? Now we can't just come in and take, you know, pick them off. And so he was kind of disturbed by the whole thing. So he thought, well, the best thing he could do would just be kind of like a sidewalk supervisor. And he would just ridicule them as they're doing it. And this is what he did. He came alongside, he's watching them, they're doing all the work, and he stands off to the side and he says, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? In other words, what do they think they're doing? What do you guys think you're doing? That's not going to work. It's not going to. In fact, his friend, Tobiah, says, you know, the the minute a fox jumps up on the wall, it's going to fall apart. And they just ridiculed him for what they were doing. But he didn't stop the work. They kept moving forward and that's what he did and then 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 he found other opposition and this opposition actually came from the people within the people that were a part of jerusalem part of judea and and what happened was people were giving their uh, time and attention to rebuilding the wall so they were not tending their own fields and so um they didn't have the grain and they didn't have the olives and they didn't have all the things so they had to start buying supplies from other people well there was a group of people mostly the nobles and the higher ups the elite the money people and they thought oh wow here's a great opportunity what they did is they started taking advantage of people they started selling the grain back to their own people but they boosted up the price and then the people couldn't afford the food and the price of the food so they had to mortgage their property to be able to buy that who do you think carried the note on the mortgages <laughs> at a high interest rate? The very same people. So they're taking advantage of them and selling them high-priced food. And then when they got to mortgage their property to buy the food, they loan them money, but they do it at a high interest rate. And Nehemiah finds out about this, and he is livid. And he goes to them, and he says, no, 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 no. In fact, this is what he says. What you are doing is not right. That's just not right. Stop charging interest. Give them back immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves and houses, and also the interests you're charging them. In other words, there will be people who will take advantage 
of you in that rebuilding process. And you just got to call him on it. And that's what Nehemiah does. And then the last thing is distraction. There will be people that will try to distract you from that process. In fact, actually, it's Samballot again. The ridicule doesn't work. And so he has, comes up with this other idea. He said, if I can, he just thinks, if I can get Nehemiah away from the, if I can t- pick off their leader, then everything's going to end and it's all going to come to naught. So he makes up this plan and, and he's governor of Syria. So he decided, okay, let's, let's just, let's form a truce then. Let's, let's meet together. Let's, let's have, you know, peace talks and we'll just kind of settle our differences right here and now. So he sends word uh, to Nehemiah and he says, come meet me down on the plane and we'll hash this whole thing out and we'll figure it out. What he doesn't tell Nehemiah is his secret plot is if he can get him down there on the plane and away from his protection and away from his people, he can kill him. But Nehemiah doesn't even fall for that. He won't go for the distraction. This is what he says to him. He says, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. I don't want the work to stop while I leave to meet with you. And I think that is a great, great line. I've used that line before. (laughs) I am doing a great work and I can't come down. When people will try to distract you from that, the most important work you do is the rebuilding work of your life. The most important work you do is the rebuilding work of your own life. Here's why. Because the rebuilding work of your own life is part of God's bigger rebuilding work in this world. The God's redemptive work in your life is part of his bigger redemptive work in human history. And God will use your rebuilding process to help someone else rebuild their own lives. God will use his redemptive work in you to bring about redemptive work in other people's lives as well. Because you are just a part of the bigger picture. But your part is so important. So don't be distracted and don't give up on it. Keep it bathed in prayer. Know the realities of it and, and, and get people to come alongside you. But whatever you do, don't give up. It says in chapter 6, when all our enemies heard about it and all the nations around us saw it, they were shamed. Then they understood that the work had been done with the help of our God. See, God was honored. God was glorified in the rebuilding of walls. God will be honored and God will be glorified in the rebuilding of your life. And he will use that rebuilding process in you to help rebuild the lives of those around you. Would you bow your heads with me? And for those of you in our Vallejo campus, I'm going to just turn over this last part to your campus host and walk you through this next section. Because one of the things we do every week is we give people an opportunity to respond. So here's my question for you today. What's going on in your life? Maybe you've hit rock bottom and it's just starting a rebuilding process. Maybe you're in the middle of the rebuilding process, but today maybe gave you what the next step for you might be. But if you're going through that rebuilding process in some way, shape, or form in your life, I just want you to know you are not alone. It is what God does. He's in the rebuilding business. And you can bring him with that brokenness. 
that pain, that struggle. And he'll carry you. And he'll strengthen you if you'll just trust him. So if you find yourself at that point in your life today, and if I could pray for you and pray with you as we close, I would love the opportunity to do that. So I'm just going to ask you to just let me know very simply. Just raise a hand, and as you do, look up, catch my eye, because I want to acknowledge you and let you know I'm praying with you and for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe you're here today and it's a first step of faith. Maybe that's actually what brought you here today, that your life just kind of hit a point where you realize, I can't do this on my own. And maybe for you it's a first step of faith and it's just that that willingness like Nehemiah to say, God, I messed up. (laughs) And I can't fix this. I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. I need to put my trust and my hope in you. And if you've never done that before, but today it's a first step of faith. And maybe you already raised your hand, but just today just saying, this, no, this is a first step for me. Would you, same thing, just raise your hand, hold it up, look up, catch my eye, because I particularly want to lead you in this prayer as we close. All right. Yeah. join me in this prayer Lord you know me you know my struggles you know my faults and my failures you know my sin you know better than I do but I know I cannot fix this on my own I need you and I'm willing to admit that today I need your forgiveness I need your grace I need your strength so today I'm just laying it all out before you and pray that you would give me that strength you would give me that forgiveness that you would work in my life as I learn how to continue to trust you. And that's my prayer today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.